you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. Today on The Transition, I'm joined by my friend, colleague, and Navy veteran, Keith Kappel, our head content writer at Bunker Labs. Keith joined the team almost a year ago, has been working behind the scenes on the Bunker Lab blog, capturing and sharing stories of our amazing entrepreneurs, and also writing how-to guides to support you all along the way. Fresh off submitting my book for copy editing and stuck in the hustle of writing a weekly newsletter, I invited Keith on the podcast to talk about best practices for writing content. If you're like me, we have great ideas for books and blogs that we want to write, but can never seem to find enough time in the day to get it all done. Keith's no exception, but his vast experience over the years has taught him some tips and tricks to stop overthinking and get thoughts on the page, which he shares with you all today. Before you hear from Keith and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Keith. Welcome to the transition. I can't say welcome to the bunker, y'all. I see Keith every week. We're always chatting back and forth on Teams. He's a member of the marketing team. What's your title, Keith? I am the uh, content uh, writer is my official title. Correct. Our resident content writer. So Keith has been writing some very dope blogs for the bunker community over the course of what, the last year? Since October. Yeah, yeah. since October. Been hooking and jabbing. And so I told him, I was like, Keith, we got to get you on the podcast. One, to introduce yourself to everyone, let them know about your background. Also, uh, give them a, uh, let them know about all these amazing blogs and stuff you've been writing. And I also thought you and I could talk about why writing is an important aspect of the entrepreneurial journey. Because nobody tells you this, how much you're going to be having to write. You know? And I know for me, when I went to college, I thought like, oh, I was done writing those long essays and stuff. But I feel like I have to write all the freaking time now, whether it's writing copy for your website initially, you know, in the bootstrapping phase before you can bring other people in, writing thoughtful emails, you know, or even writing your own kind of marketing uh, copy and stuff. So I think it's going to be a good conversation, man, but I'm, I'm real happy to have you on the, on the platform. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, man. Thanks for uh, making the time. I know you have uh Crazy big, important guests on here all the time. So I'm just honored to participate. Listen, I'm telling you, I've been doing a lot of solo episodes lately, and people really appreciate the content. It's less about the guests and more about, like, yo, are we driving value for our listeners? And that's what's always at the top of my mind, which, again, is why I want to get you on here, because I think a lot of these blogs you've been writing, I'm also excited to see what we can do um, now that I'm freed up from this book. You know, start going back and looking at some of these episodes I've done, like how to acquire your first hundred customers and flipping that um, into a blog for the Bunker community. But I think a good place to start is, one, talk to our listeners about how you ended up at the Bunker and also your background. 
Sure. So I'm Keith Kappel. I'm a writer. I'm also a veteran. I was in the United States Navy where I served as an intelligence specialist from uh, 1997 till, uh, honestly, my EAOS was the day before 9-11. Uh, September 10th, 2001 is on all my paperwork for uh, uh, my exit paperwork. So I was in the service. I got out and uh, um, decided I broke my leg, actually, is what happened. That's how I became a writer is I broke my leg. Um, I was bartending full time at the time, uh, because, you know, as a veteran, one of the other things we're trained to do is be in a bar, uh, when we get out. So that was a natural transition career for me. Uh, but you break your leg, there's no workman's comp, there's no, uh, uh, you know, uh, unemployment that's really going to help you out as a bartender. You're not going to make the same money. So my genius idea to pay rent was to go to college and cash in my GI bill and use that to cover rent. Until I had two working legs again and I could bartend. Uh, because I was only going uh, to pay rent, I decided I would go to college for something fun instead of something smart. So um, I was doing a little bit of writing for fun with friends, just nerdy stuff, geeky stuff with me and my buddies. And I enjoyed it and I thought it would be cool to uh, get some more professional training on how to do this well. So I ended up going to Columbia College Chicago downtown. Uh, uh, you know, I was in college as a veteran at like 29, 30 years old, a lot older than the other, uh, little wonder kid, uh, writers that, that I had classes with these little 19 year old prodigies, but, uh, uh, I did well. I enjoyed it. I found a real love for doing it. And, uh, uh, when I got out, I, uh, um, was lucky enough to, uh, hear about an open call to work on the star Wars license for a publisher called uh, Fantasy Flight Games at the time. Uh, and they had the like the tabletop uh, role-playing game license for Star Wars. So they were creating, you know, official Star Wars books uh, to play like the, if anyone's watched the Stranger Things that's out now, they play uh, Dungeons and Dragons on that game. So I wrote for the official Star Wars version of that, uh, basically. And to play that game, you need all these books and dice and all sorts of geeky stuff. So I did that for... Uh, Many, many years, I still do that as one of my uh, side hustles. Uh, but, you know, the pandemic was rough on the publishing business. I was looking for other opportunities, something new. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to find Bunker Labs, which uh, is, is one of the one of the writing jobs out there where uh, I could feel good about uh, what, I'm, what I'm doing here. Uh, there's a lot of work when I was job hunting. A lot of it was for, like, uh, these... Uh, um, people who defend like the, the mesothelioma pile of money or the 3M uh, hearing damage pile of money. And uh, uh, you're doing writing to sort of help them keep people from cashing in benefits and stuff. And I'm sure it's important. I'm sure it's to protect the money and make sure only the people who are supposed to get it, get it. But you don't really feel good about yourself at the end of the day when you're like, yeah, I stopped some guy with cancer who didn't really qualify for this fund from getting help. Like that doesn't feel good, but bunker labs, I could feel great, uh, about helping other veterans launch and grow their businesses. And, uh, um, it's just, uh, uh, I mean, it's a great organization full of great people like yourself. And, uh, um, I've been doing that, uh, alongside, uh, my side hustle since I also teach, uh, I teach writing for people who want to do the sort of tabletop gaming writing. Uh, I have a side hustle called adventure writing Academy and, uh, uh we have small, uh, classes of like 10 or 10 or less. And it's a year long program that helps people get their writing to the, the publishable level for 
a lot of that uh, uh, sort of uh, geek writing that I've done in the past. Good for you, man. I'll tell you, y'all, I shammed on Keith before, by the way. We were supposed to do this podcast interview like a month ago, I think. But I was in the woe is me, a black veteran entrepreneur. And I was like, Keith, I ain't going to make it, man. Um, but I've been blasting him, you know, back and forth. He's been super supportive. And for one, like, dude, I still think we have an untapped. Um, we have not taken full advantage of our ability to um, create both audio and written content to support uh, veteran entrepreneurs. You know, because you got these publications out there, the Forbes and the Inc. magazine. And they have their own flair. And what I'm excited about what you're doing with these blogs, and again, we're still in the early phases. It takes time to really cultivate that kind of audience. But I really think we can write niche content for the bunker and the broader uh, veteran entrepreneurial community. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it's really exciting. It's actually something we're working on, uh, as you know, a lot in-house right now in the marketing department to figure out uh, – uh, what kind of content uh, our, our program participants and prospective program participants want and, and how best to deliver it to them, whether it's a blog or a podcast or, uh, uh, you know, a streaming show, uh, a little Office Hours reference in there. But, uh, yeah, we have all these channels, and I agree we can, we can do more. And, and as you know, we're, we're trying and we're getting there slowly but surely right absolutely it's all about processes y'all it's like everybody's got the good idea fairy but at the end of the day we also got to make sure we're getting information out about veterans and residents we're getting information out about breaking bears and entrepreneurship workshop series and all the other uh weekly and uh monthly taskers that come down but this is just something that's on my mind and i'm hoping now that you know i'm freed up from uh this book I have more time to write a couple blogs i know i was all fired up a year ago i was like keith i'm gonna write you know, and I might have done like one and then I went straight ghosts because I've been dealing with this book. But one of the things we do on this show, Keith, is we take off our armor. And I know you've got your entrepreneurial hustle going on, teaching writing. You've got your story transitioning out of the military. But feel free to share something uh, you would like with our audience, either personally or professionally, of you getting vulnerable. Me being vulnerable. Oh, man. Uh I was not prepared for this question in any way, shape, or form. But uh, uh, I'm going to say that uh, writing for me is great just because uh, unlike many writers throughout history, it actually keeps me out of the bar, uh, You know, which is funny because that's how I found it, by breaking my leg, uh, not being able to be at the bar. But uh, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where uh, um, certainly, as I said before, I got out of the service the day before 9-11. And I was on the USS Theodore Roosevelt, which was the aircraft carrier that then went to New York City, like on the 12th, and it was in Afghanistan right after that. So that I had just done a complete uh, workup cycle uh, with the TR Battle Group, uh, heading into all that. And there, there's these crazy feelings of, uh, um, uh, you know, survivor's guilt isn't the right word, but but just of guilt where like, uh, you know, those are a bunch of my friends out there sweating like crazy in, in the Gulf for the next nine months after that. And that's the thing that I trained for and that I was good at and why aren't I there doing it too. So I definitely like, uh, struggled a bit with some of that, um, after getting out and, uh, uh, writing and in a lot of ways was one of the things that, uh, gave me some purpose and direction again and got me moving in a, a more positive direction like you see today man i appreciate you sharing that um especially for a bunch of our listeners who haven't met you or don't know you but to be able to come on here and be vulnerable like that 
what made you get out of the military, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So um, originally, my plan for going in was I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I wanted to open up a comic book store. Clearly, I've been a geek from a very young age. But uh, my parents had divorced. My dad had, you know, I was in this fortunate, privileged position of my dad having a sizable college fund set aside for me. And uh, uh, I convinced my dad, like, hey, what if I go into the service, earn my own college money, and then we have eight years of letting this, this money pile up instead of me spending it down from the college fund. And then with that big pile of money, that'll be my seed money. That's what I'll, I'll open my store with. Uh, and he thought that was a great idea. My dad is a, a, a longtime entrepreneur. He ran a, a, his own uh, insurance brokerage for health and life insurance, dealt with entrepreneurs all day, he specialized in selling health and life to small businesses and small business owners. So he loved this idea. He thought it was fantastic. Uh, so I went in and uh, um, I went in in 97. And if everybody remembers in the late nineties there, we had this thing called the, the dot-com bubble burst. And my nice fat uh, college fund uh, was suddenly had about, you know, 1500 in the account instead of, you know, a hundred thousand, 125,000, whatever it was. Uh, so suddenly there wasn't a fund anymore and it's a good thing I made this choice because <laughs> I, I wouldn't have had uh, you know, year three or four of college if not, or I would have had it at the expense of giant loans. Um, so, uh, um, that plan kind of blew up, but I, I never really joined with the intention of being a, a, a lifer. That was never really the goal. Um, and I struggled a bit while I was in the service cause, uh, uh as you know, and as your listeners are now discovering, I like to talk a lot. I have feelings about a lot of subjects, and I'm not afraid to share them with anybody. Um, and that's not uh, a great way to be uh, as a junior enlisted in the service. doesn't always rub everyone the right way. Um, and I, I struggled with a lot of the uh, leadership in, in the military, um, especially among the enlisted. There, there tends to be... A, a cycle where uh, your high performers among your junior enlisted tend to get out, right? They tend to become a private contractor or get out and go to school or, you know, get out to get out. And then the, the enlisted who stay for those second and third terms, that's who ends up becoming your senior enlisted just by nature of the fact that there's the ones who are there. And uh, uh, granted, it's only my experience. So it was a, a, a narrow sample size, but, uh, it just didn't feel like the, the best fit for me at the time, even though I loved the work. I loved uh, being an intelligence analyst. I enjoyed the, the puzzle of it, the, mis you know, the sort of detective work of it. I, I uh, was good at that, and I enjoyed doing that quite a bit. Um, but it was all the other stuff that, uh, uh, you know, I was the guy who my evals were always, you know, he's a 5.0 intelligence specialist, but he's like, you know, a 1.5 sailor. <laughs> That's what they'd always say. So I was, you know, unsat capel. Here he comes again. You know, looks like he hasn't shaved. His uniform's all crumply. crumply. So it was time, basically. You're just like, it was about that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was time. It was time to get out for sure. And I was happy to be out, even though I, I struggled, you know, after 9-11 and all that. Got it. Well, for me, I got to take off my armor. And since we're talking about writing, right, I struggle with grammar, right? I've always struggled with grammar. I don't know if I'm like undiagnosed dyslexic or what, but it is one of those things of like, you know, back in the day, Facebook, like 2012, you write and you could write something super thoughtful and then people in inbox you and say, Hey man, you spelt this wrong or did this, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of times when I write, I have to go back and re edit all the time. 
even my like LinkedIn posts, if I write something on LinkedIn or social media, chances are I have to go back and re-edit it. Um, and it's interesting for me though, right? Because I have pushed past it and still publish stuff, even though knowing I struggle with grammar. And I do try to put some safety stops, right? If I can, having someone, you know, edit it before it goes out. But like we're talking about today, sometimes as an entrepreneur, the sheer volume of writing and publishing you have to do, you just, it's just hard to have that, right? Especially early on. And so I've had to be okay with saying like, putting in my newsletter for the transition, hey, I'm a grunt, you know, please forgive me if I misspell something wrong. But I know there are a lot of people out there that don't publish because they they want their writing to be like so perfect, you know? Um, and I think it's this sense of like, at the end of the day, you know, it can be a missed opportunity, you know? And I like to think that my credibility, sheer volume, which is why I also default to audio, to be honest, because audio is a lot easier for me than writing. But it's also one of those things where I want to become a better writer. Something about publishing the uh, the the written word, getting your thoughts out, and the act of just sitting down writing makes you think in a certain way um, that I want to, I don't know, I just want to leverage. Some of the best business authors I look up to, people that have really helped impact me as an entrepreneur, they have all shared their knowledge and insights some way. And a lot of them, the majority have been through the written word. Yeah. I mean, there's so much I have to respond to there. First of all, I'd say you should be incredibly proud for sticking with it and finishing a book. That's a major, major accomplishment. And there is nothing quite so humbling as uh, writing something and trying to, uh, to make it better, to look at all the stupid things that snuck in there or like, how could you be such an idiot to confuse uh, there, there, and there or something like that. But we all make knucklehead mistakes like that from time to time, even me. And when I post on social media, I'll believe it. It gets revised like four times after I post it almost every time, especially if I'm typing from my phone, there's going to be, I think you get a little leeway on social media because people understand some folks are typing from their phone. But at the same time, this is a, um, as an entrepreneur, anytime you're posting on social media, sending an email or writing anything down, you're going to get judged by it, uh, you know, and that's going to live a, a long time. In some cases, it might live longer than the venture that you're uh, uh, that you're posting about, right? So you want to be able to do your best. Fortunately, we live in this amazing time where um, not only do you get all the advantages of the internet of being able to get more eyeballs on your stuff than ever before despite how much competition there is. But we also live in a time where there are more ways to get help uh, with this sort of stuff than ever before either, right? There's, there's Grammarly, there's Spellcheck, there's, there's a lot of stuff they didn't have 50 years ago uh, to help you through those. And uh, I, mean, I was just talking to you before we started about the, uh, the Bunker Lab Style Guide, which is a document meant to help people I work with who are all very smart people uh, who don't have a writing degree and, and don't know a lot of this stuff when it comes to grammar, what's passive voice, how do I get rid of it? Uh, you know, all, all this stuff that, uh, uh, you know, when do I use an M dash or just a regular dash or uh, what the hell is a semicolon? You know, all, all these, these strange grammatical things that don't come up for most people every day. So why in the world would you know it, right? So um, you should be proud for taking the leap and uh, uh, getting to the end and, and getting something you're proud to, to be putting out into the world. And then on top of it, 
I'm proud of you for wanting to come back for more. You're talking about writing blogs and stuff now. So, uh, you know, I say uh, good to you. That's awesome. And, uh, of course, I look forward to us collaborating more and, and getting more stuff out Yeah, there. man, I know the framework now. So that's the other thing, too, yeah. having a framework for how you do a chapter, like big idea, story, you know, data, et cetera. And so being able to ex- apply that to just, I don't even know, blogging or whatever you want to call it now, um, beyond just kind of like writing for this uh, uh, publication. Now, there's something you said, I think it's going to be super helpful for our audience. And I do think it's important of when you're first starting out, you do want to be viewed as professional, particularly if you're going to be charging a premium for your products or services. People don't want to think they're dealing with some rinky dink, you know, uh, basement operation. And even if you are, they still want a certain level of quality. So I won't, I would be remiss if in the back of my mind, right? I'm not double, triple checking things that I send out to people because you want to come across a certain way. But I also think what I'm talking about more is like, you know, Seth Godin talks about shipping it. Don't be afraid to ship it. And we're always chasing this perfection, right? And you know, when you're, before you go through copy editing or something, you can be tweaking stuff up to the last minute. You know, I was listening to a podcast with Lynn Manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton, and he was literally writing the play, right, before they were going on stage. He was still, like, wrapping up stuff. He didn't have it kind of dialed in. And so I guess I just want to encourage our listeners to be aware of it. It is important how you come across in your writing. But at the same time, I think I'm also talking from, like, a content perspective as well of, like, we know that we need to demonstrate value, okay? And now buyers are a lot more educated. So before they make a purchase, they're checking out your website, they're reading your copy, they're probably looking at a blog. If you got a podcast up there, they're listening to it, and then they're purchasing, all right? People know they need to get that content out there, but the fear of perfection and the fear of like, oh, I'm not a good writer, or I'm not this, I'm not that, is preventing them from doing it. Yeah, there's it's a double-edged sword, right? It pulls in both ways. Like you want to spend enough time on it to get it as good as you can, but you, you got to ship the thing as well. In, in the tabletop uh, gaming business, my uh, one of my mentors, Jay Little, who uh, designed a billion-dollar game called X-Wing, a miniatures game. So this is a real successful guy in this business. And uh, what he always said is you always start out designing a game or, or in this context, building a product or whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to ship a product. Like at the, there's a deadline at some point when this has to get out the door and become a real thing and get put in front of people. And uh, uh, you can't languish too long on, on either extreme of that spectrum, right? Uh, you have to find a balance. And I think uh, two uh, resources people might consider uh, to help them with that. First, uh, the first thing that I still do if something's short enough is find a mirror or find a, 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 an ideal customer if you can uh, and read whatever the hell you wrote out loud to them slowly like you were presenting it or saying it to them. Uh, just by nature of them being there, they don't even really have to be paying attention. But the fact that there is an audience will heighten your sense of what sounds good and what doesn't. It will fine tune your ear in a way that nothing else can uh, and even though we all hate to read something aloud first and no one seems to ever want to do it, it is the number way, one way to find uh, silly, you know, dumb mistakes that you know better. You just it accidentally got in there somehow. 
so I'd recommend that. The other thing I'd recommend for the other side of the spectrum is uh, uh, it's an essay by Anne Lamott uh, uh, out of her book on writing called Bird by Bird. And the essay is called Shitty First Drafts. And uh, um, it's just it's about getting the ideas on paper uh, and not judging the quality in any way, shape or form uh, ahead of time. Just get the ideas down first. You could always make them better later. I know one thing you and I've been talking about is the importance of story, too. So I'm, I'm putting my head on as some of our listeners. OK, they're tuning in this episode. And they're like, OK, I know I need to write more. I need to get a blog going or I need to do some digital writing. I need to write on my LinkedIn, my Twitter, et cetera. And one of the ways to get more buy-in instead of just writing like a manual, you know, because thought leadership, what is thought leadership really? It's like, look at me, I'm important, I have something to say. But you and I talk about people remember stories, right? And so talk to us about how to think about, like if I'm, uh, let's say my case, right? I do podcasting, I do brand strategy. How should I be thinking about the type of writing that is going to build an audience and get more buy-in from potential customers. Yeah. I mean, like in your, in your case, you should definitely be thinking about, um, uh, one way of storytelling in this case would be like a testimonial is telling a story, right? This is a third party saying, Hey, I was here. And then I listened to the podcast and I found a solution and now I'm here. Uh, and, and obviously that's a very stripped down simplistic version of, of a story, but th there's a story there. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, uh, so yeah, like I think, uh, building narrative into what we do. Here's the thing. Um, if I read you a list of items that say, say 15 items, you might remember four or five of them, maybe, uh, an hour later, maybe, probably not. Uh, uh, but if I tell you a story, uh, if you ask anyone who's like, I don't know, like a Harry Potter fan and ask them to name the seven Horcruxes of Voldemort, like, they're going to know them all like that. Why? Because that list, that information was delivered, uh, nestled inside of story. And, and our brains are wired to remember story because part of how the human civilization evolved was through oral storytelling, oral tradition, uh, telling stories around the campfire so that people know uh, which plants they could eat and which ones they can't and which animals are safe to, you know, whatever. All, all that like primitive human stuff, the lizard brain stuff is built to absorb story better than most other things. So I think it also helps put things in context. So even on the podcast, right, when I'm doing my solo episodes and I'm like, I'm trying to convey this idea, I'll convey the idea. And then I also try to share a story in my own personal life or something I heard where to make it more kind of relevant to people. So you're right. It's like, okay, here's this idea, but people remember the story. That's how they make sense of it. 100%. And, and there's something else you said there that's key, too. And you said, uh, uh, in my life, like my experience. So the other thing is entrepreneurs you could do to make uh, uh, your brand and your story is to share yourself, which we're encouraged to do in all sorts of ways in the modern world on social media anyway. In fact, you just had a segment where we had to get vulnerable, right? That's an example of, of sharing parts of ourselves. So when you make it personal for you, um, it makes that consumer feel like they know you. So it makes it personal for them. And that makes them more interested in getting to know more and supporting you uh, and, and maybe buying it. So, yeah, now, story is great. And, and when it's personal, too, that's that's even better, I think. All right. So one thing I've been talking about, too, lately is busyness doesn't necessarily equal effectiveness. And a lot of our listeners love spending time 
posting on social media, you know, the Instagram feed and all that other stuff. But sometimes that stuff is not necessarily as evergreen. And it's not something that could be highly leveraged. So I'll give you an example, y'all. If you write a very thoughtful blog post for your perfect customer, all right, and you send that off to people that have the potential to be your perfect customer, or let's say it's up on your website, or they come to you, they seek you out, and then they come across this piece of content. You are going to deal with a better prospect, you know, than you would somebody just scrolling on your social media page, I will believe, right? But in order to spend time writing that thoughtful piece, it could take anywhere between an hour, hour and a half, maybe, right? And that requires deep work. That's not just like, oh, I'm just going to write this article in between, you know, back-to-back -back Zoom meetings, right? I might have to get up super early. I might have to get some quiet time, et cetera. I know for me, even when I do my podcast, Keith, or I write, I keep my mornings to myself. That's why y'all don't see me in teams, <laughs> nine, to ten, 9 to like 12. But I'm curious to, as someone who's been doing this, has done it at a high level, how should people think about protecting their time and creating space to allow them to write? So in the writing world, this is uh, what we refer to as process. There's that magic word again, right? Uh, so what's your writing process? Which is to say, what conditions need to be met for you to be productive in your word processor, wherever it is you're writing words? Uh, what do you have to do? So the answer varies. It's a... Uh, among the sort of writing academia, there, there's everybody's telling stories about, well, here's what Stephen King does to when he writes. And Ernest Hemingway famously would wake up and write, like you actually, from like 9 to 12. He'd write for like three hours, four hours a day, and then he'd go off to the bar and drink himself senseless the rest of the day or go on a hunting excursion or whatever else Ernest Hemingway did. Uh, and he was super productive that way. That worked for him. There's no one process. Uh, some people need music on. I, I can't. If I listen to anything with words in it, then that interferes with my brain's ability to get words going on the page. So I tend to need uh, silence. I need a big chunk of un uninterrupted time to produce. I can't, I can't write 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and have that become something that's a longer piece. I can't do that. But there are writers who can. A lot of them have kids because you have no choice in that scenario because uh, they're going to interrupt you every 15 minutes, no matter what your process ideally is. I know people who go to a, a cafe and they write there. They like the sort of background noise of being in public when they write. I do it in a home office, uh, looking out at lovely Lake Michigan, out my office window here. Uh, and yeah, so for me, it's just I need a, a couple uninterrupted hours, at least like an hour and a half to produce anything of value uh, or, or get anything done. And uh, um, absolutely quiet. If there's noise outside, I live in the city of Chicago, so uh, um, if there if there is some noise, I'll I'll need to turn on. Uh, I, I use uh, it's like their movie soundtracks or something. They're they're instrumental musical pieces. No no words. That's the, the important part. Movie scores. I put yeah, movie, movie scores, scores too. When I write. Yeah, it's called like inspirational music or study music or they have uh, like lo-fi beats. They call them sometimes. They'll be like four-hour looped audio tracks of just like just like noise for the background uh, or ambient soundtracks or something like that. So sometimes I'll put that stuff on just to drown out any noise out my window. But, uh, uh, but yeah, for me, uh, as a pro, I, I went to college for this. I have uh, 
it sounds like a very unique ability, but it's it's not. It's something everyone could learn. Where I can sit down at my keyboard and I can uh, spend you know ten to fifteen minutes sort of getting my mind right, and then I can just start producing immediately. I can just start making words go, and uh, um, a lot of that is because of the college training that they gave us at Columbia College Chicago, uh, where they they would uh, um, usually you go to writing school. They use something called the Iowa method, which is you all have probably had this in school at some point. You're at home, you write your paper, you bring it in, you break up into small groups of four, everybody trades their essays and marks them up in red and what's wrong, and then and then you go home and fix it later, and hopefully it's better. Uh, so where I went to school, Columbia College, Chicago, it's the opposite of that. They make us do the writing in class, on demand. Uh, so they, they take us through a little pre-visualization exercise to... Uh, sort of see in our mind what we're writing about, what we're talking about, um, a scene of something happening. So there's there's story, there's conflict. And then they'd be like, okay, pick up your pen, start writing now. We're going to read it in 15 minutes when you're done. And you had to produce in that period of time. And uh, um, I, you know, I went there, I got my bachelor's at, at Columbia. So in the, I don't know, several hundred uh, hours of writing programming uh, courses that I went through there. I'd never, ever seen someone be like, I got nothing. It's never happened to a single student ever. No matter if that kid was, it was a tourist from another program, just trying out our 101 or something like that, it's never happened that someone hasn't produced. Um, so anyone can learn how to do that, which is which should be encouraging. But I know how intimidating the blank page is. So um, another part of my process is never to have a completely blank page in Microsoft Word. When, uh, when I start a new project, I always bring in a pre-formatted file that has like header one, body text, body text indented, where I could like lay out almost an outline form uh, uh, what I'm going to be writing about before I just write right over that. So um, that's another trick I use to get away because I know how that is when you're just staring at the blinking cursor on the blank page and you're like, nothing's coming to me. What do I do? That's a million dollar insight, y'all. And I've like I've. I've been saying on this podcast, creating systems in your business. So like a Google Doc or something where it has like, hey, big idea, research, et cetera. That way you don't have that necessarily blank page. And I think the other thing, too, and I haven't done the best job of this, y'all, is keeping notes of the content I consume, whether it's podcasts or read a book or something, having this book of knowledge and notion or Google Docs to where I'm just like, hey, here's this idea. Here's my thoughts on it, et cetera. And then that way you can just kind of copy it and put it on that blank page when you start talking about, let's say, marketing. And you go on your little book of knowledge and you look at all the tabs where you have these marketing thoughts and then you throw it on there. Now, one thing uh, Keith and I also talk about is how you write. So I read Chris Fox's stuff, right? Um, I think it's called 5,000 words per, per hour or something like that. And one of the things he talks about is just those sprints. So, like, when we're writing, we're creating content, we're doing that brain dump, like college or so, or school, not everybody went to college, but, you know, um, you're always having to stop and edit versus just saying, I'm not going to edit, I'm just going to write for 30 minutes, and I'm just going to get all of my thoughts out, boom. And then the magic is in the re-editing, if I'm not mistaken. 100%. Uh, that's, that's how almost every professional I've ever met works. Uh, they don't really worry about revising. I I'll go back to Hemingway again because I know a lot about his process for whatever reason. But uh, one way he would get going at the start of his process is he would read the uh, the work he did yesterday. 
he only wrote like 400, 500 words a day. Ernest Hemingway, one of the, you know, well-regarded writers of our, our age of the last century, I guess. He would only write 400, 500 words a day, which is not much. Um, it's like one page in Microsoft Word. Uh, that's it. He'd do that, every, but he'd do it every day. You know, he'd do it five days a week, every day. And, you know, he was able to churn out books and books uh, that way. Lots of short stories. But um, he would always start his day before he would write anything. He would just read the part he wrote yesterday. And that would get him back in the mindset and he'd be able to move forward. And he'd revise as he read through that old stuff. But he never revised when he was in writing mode. And I don't either. Most writers don't. Have you ever been writing and you do that thing where you write a sentence, you decide you don't like it, so you delete it and you rewrite it? Yeah. Or you, you spend like an hour and a half workshopping your first sentence. And I'll tell you what, first sentences are hard and they are important, but they're also usually the thing you should write last. Um, so, you know, it's far better. Um, I call it just barfing it out. Just barf out all the words, get it all out of you. And then uh, uh, you, you, you fix it. You get to make it better in the end. It goes back to actually that Anne Lamott, bird by bird, shitty first drafts. Uh, she advises the same thing in there where it's uh, get everything inside of you out on, onto the page. I like to liken it to uh, sculpting. Uh, so stage one in sculpting is to have a big block of clay to sculpt from. Uh, and, and in the writing context, that's just barfing out all the words you have inside without judgment, without worrying if it's good yet at all. Just get all your, your ideas out. And then stage two is taking that big block of clay and finding the good piece of work that's that's there uh so that's trimming away the bits where you're repeating yourself or you're rambling or it doesn't sound very good and it you know it, it seems backwards because i know people just want to get to the end and then be done but that's not it that's just not how this process works for like 99.99 percent of humans on the planet that do it in any capacity so now one thing i want to talk about too is i know we've talked about external facing writing so like writing blogs or newsletters etc but something I think is important for a lot of you listening is the ability to write and communicate to your team, to your stakeholders. When you start out one-on-one, you know, maybe you're working with another vendor or something, but you still need to be able to communicate that commander's intent. Uh, I was at my tactical advance with the Lions Pride, the coaching group I'm a part of, and there's a very successful entrepreneur there whose company's worth like $100 million. He's been uh, offered to be bought, bought out like multiple times over, and he spoke to us and gave us some advice. And he said the ability to write and communicate to your team is really powerful because they don't know what's going on in your head, right? And so when you take the time to sit down and write out your, like, brand overview, kind of like how you see your business, right, when you explain your products and services, how you deliver value, how you do all this other stuff, let's be honest. Like, for most entrepreneurs, it's writing fiction, because you haven't done it yet. But what you are doing is you're trying to create the vision for it and you're trying to create buy-in from other people. And again, even if you don't have a staff, those vendors that you're going to be working with, when you can share an overview of your business and they're like, okay, that makes sense. I think I can add value here. Or in my case, like a nonprofit, right? When I'm writing all this stuff about what we want to do, et cetera, super powerful. So don't just think you need to be able to write for that external audience, right? You also need to write to build buy-in from internal stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, internal communication, you could argue, is almost more important, for, certainly for our founders, than, than external communication because they're in that leadership position. Like, 
you're going to hire at some point someone in sales for your your venture that is going to be able to craft, you know, sales and marketing can craft some of that external message for you uh, in some ways. But it's going to be kind of on you to set the tone uh, with with the people working for you and with you uh, to help bring your vision to life because the vision's only up here. And until you can communicate it somehow, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Uh, so you, you need to have a way to turn that into words. And when you put words on paper, they live a lot longer than when you speak them. So, uh, yeah, being able to, uh, uh, I think writing will help you speak better where I went to college. Again, they put a real strong emphasis on, uh, your ability to tell a story and your ability to write a story and that these are using the same parts of the brain. So if you could do one well, it stands to reason you could do the other well. And I haven't met a CEO yet or a founder yet that, that can't talk your ear off. So, uh, you know, I, I think all of, all of them for the most part have the ability to, uh, uh write well, but it's something that, uh, uh, you know, in all the business books that you read, there's there's not a lot of people who are incorporating uh, some books on writing or taking a writing class as they're as they're getting their skills up in other areas for their business. It's important. It's probably one of the more underrated skills I think for for entrepreneurs to have. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate this platform, Keith, because I think for a lot of our listeners, right, they get caught up in the entrepreneurial hype. You know, like oh, so and so just came up with this idea for a company. Now he's a millionaire in like two years or whatever. But for the rest of us, right, like, yo, man, it's like there's a lot of blocking and tackling that has to take place. Part of that is the ability to write an email, you know, or write your marketing copy or write your brand overview and all this stuff that has to happen behind the scenes. Like these brands don't just magically build themselves. And so learning and practicing the art of writing and what forget writing, communicating, the ability to communicate. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and in this it. digital age, right, emails, social media posts, all of that stuff incorporates some aspect of writing. And so you got to develop the habit of writing and communicating um, effectively. And so as we close out here, Keith, I'm curious to know, what other resources do you have for our listeners that say, hey, if I need to improve my writing, here's a good place to start? Man, so uh, number one is is Grammarly. Obviously, it's low hanging fruit. Everybody's heard about it, but uh, uh, that and and there's other similar competitors in that space as well. But a program like that that will digitally hold you accountable before you click the post button uh, is going to give you opportunities to improve your writing in so many ways. Uh, so that's a big one. Another one is just read more, man. Read uh, uh, and read different stuff. Uh, reading the business books is awesome, but you know what? Pick up a uh, pick up a classic every now and again and read five pages a night or something like that, or pick up something new uh, in the fiction or nonfiction space. And uh, uh, fiction is great, uh, deceptively great in that uh, they play a lot more with language than uh, uh, a lot of the business books are gonna. Um, so you'll you'll really improve your vocabulary uh, a lot more and a lot more quickly. Uh, if you're going, reaching out to fiction, but, you know, read the business books too. Those are great, especially the better written ones. Um, some specific books I'd recommend. I've said it a few times already, but Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. Also Stephen King's On Writing is like the industry standard. 
that's worth picking up. It's also worth picking up. Uh, I think it's like 60 bucks or they have a digital subscription option too, but, uh, Chicago manual of style or, um, you know, a, whichever, uh, uh, style guide that you're using with your company that you choose might depend on what, uh, industry you're in. Uh, but, uh, picking up a style guide and having that on hand, it's like having a dictionary, a dictionary, but for, uh, grammar rules. So like, if you don't know if, uh, the period goes inside or outside the, the quotations or the parentheses or whatever, like it's in there, it's in that book. You could look it up. It will tell you the rule, uh, for, for certain funny stuff like that. And they're, they're cheap. They're like 60 bucks or whatever. So that, that's a slew of resources I would offer. I want to plug uh, Nicholas Cole's book, The Art and Business of Online uh, Writing. Uh, Nick runs a, com- a cohort company, a cohort, what is it? A cohort business called Ship 30 for 30, along with his co-founder, Dickie Bush, that teaches you how to write online. So you publish 30 essays for 30 days on Twitter because he argues that in the age of the internet, you know, Reading about writing is great, but writing is better. And so writing is always better. out there publish and ship 30 for 30 was to help people build a daily online writing habit. And I did the cohort. I read the book. I have done a lot of writing programs behind the scenes to prepare myself for writing a book. Um, but nothing beat just sitting down and writing every single day. So check out his book, though, The Art and Business of Online Writing. Um, and also check out Keith's blogs, right? Now, that's what we, I forgot to mention. Keith, we got some amazing blogs for the bunker. You've been cranking them out. You did the one on Black History Month. You've done the one on female entrepreneurs, I believe, Asian American. We've done a lot of stuff, right, at the high level, but we've also done the tactical level of, like, how to get your first. We haven't done how to get your first 100 customers yet, but what are some of the other blogs you've done? We've got a, a, a very in-depth uh, pitch series That's of right, articles, pitch right? Series. Uh, so I think there's four of those, four parts, and it really just uh, micro takes a microscope and goes over every element of your pitch, all the different parts, and uh, how to approach them, and what the current sort of standards and expectations are. Excuse me. Uh, we've also done. Uh, we had Reggie, our marketing director, come in and talk a little bit about finding product market fit, and uh, uh, we we have a whole bunch of programming we're hoping for for the blog in the in the sort of how to realm uh, that hopefully will start rolling out uh, uh, in not too long here. It's very exciting right now. It's kind of like exactly what I'm focused on right now. Um, and then we've also got a whole bunch of examples for you to read about of uh, successful Bunker Labs entrepreneurs, people who have done it, like uh, Beth Finbo and uh, Joe MacDizon and. Uh, a bunch of these other entrepreneurs in the Bunker Labs community that uh, uh, have made good. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you chopping it up with us today. Keith, where can people follow you? How can they find these amazing blogs that you've written? Um, So BunkerLabs.org, there's a blog button right at the top. That's where you could find all of that. And if you want to bother me, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, I should be easy to find. Uh, I'm not sure what my LinkedIn is, to be honest with you. Bad. Keith Capel. I, I spelled his name right. He said I got to say it like Apple. Yo. So fine, Keith. Just Google the Bunker Lab blogs. You can't miss them. Um, and if you have any issues finding them, just reach out to me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman or message me or shoot me an email. Sorry, at Mike.Stedman at BunkerLabs.org. Keith, it's been an honor to work with you. It's been an honor having you here. For all our listeners, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I do my best to send out a newsletter at least 
once a week. And if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, again, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman or shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.